Hi, this is Nancy Hural, and welcome to High Road to Humanity. And I have a lovely lady here today. Joan D. Stem is here. And Joan, welcome to High Road. Thank you. Thanks for having I'm me. pronouncing your name right. Is it Stam? Well, it's really pronounced Stam because it's a German name. Okay. Um, but most people say Stam, so... <laughs> I answered like tomato, tomato. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, okay. All right. Well, it's nice to have you. You guys, she's written this cool book, The Language of Flowers in the Time of COVID. And I'll tell you what, I'm a real flower lover. And so this is going to be a fun show. Let me give you a little idea of what we're going to talk about today. In 2020, as COVID-19 spread from Asia to North America, Zen Buddhists in Akabana practitioner Joan Assam was forced to cancel her long anticipated trip to Japan, where she had planned to research a flower temple pilgrimage and learn, learn the deeper meaning of flowers known as little Buddhas. I think this is really cool. But the lockdown made her stay home. And that's the story she's going to tell us today. She ended up writing this really cool book, The Language of Flowers. And I just want you to know that um, she has lived in uh, Koba, Japan in the early 90s. She has uh, where her interest in Zen and uh, the Akbana took root. On her return to the States, she continued to practice and study Zen and Tibetan Buddhism, and for the next 30 years with various notable teachers. So she's quite um, versed, well-versed in this. And in addition, she has training in meditation, Buddhism. Um, she holds an MFA in writing and literature from Bennington College and a BA in art from the Evergreen State College. So you have quite the story. But I, I love this. You lived in Japan and then you hadn't gone back for a while. And then you decided to go back in August, which is the time for, I think it's the uh, the lotus blossoms. Is that right? Oh, well, meaning the, the before I wrote the book, I was planning to go in April yeah, you were for the cherry go. blossoms. Yes. The yes. cherry blossoms. And uh, yes, I've been planning that trip for a very long time. Tell and, us your story. What happened? Well, um, well, first, let me just tell you what I wanted to do there. Um, okay. So for about um, at least 10 years, I came, it had been about 10 years since I came across an article in a magazine, a Japanese uh, magazine in English, but um, very glossy magazine. And there was an article about these flower temples or flower temple pilgrimage um, in the Kansai region, which is uh, Kyoto, Osaka, Kobe region. And I thought, oh, I'd really like to do that someday. And um, But in the meantime, I was working on other projects. And then I thought, well, in 2020, I'm going to spend almost the month of April in Kyoto, um, and I'm going to research these temples. And I, I had written to one of the monks that started this pilgrimage, these flower temples. And in their literature, they describe flowers as little Buddhas. Huh? And that as being a Buddhist, that really intrigued me. Yeah. Um, so I planned this trip um, with a friend and her brother. And we had all our reservations and we were planning to leave in April of 2020. And then of course the pandemic hit and right. everything was canceled. Right. So. But it I prompted to, this. It prompted that. Yeah. So I couldn't write about wonderful flower temples in Japan, <laughs> but I, I was already sort of geared up to, to write about something. Right. 
So I started um, writing about um, Japanese flowers or what's considered flowers that are native to Asia, mostly Japan. I started writing about those flowers that I was growing. I could, I was growing some of them and some I wasn't able to grow. Mm -hmm. And then looking into a lot of the symbolism and the metaphors and there's just a lot of different um, lore, um, poetic lore around flowers in Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. So I delved into that and, um, and also uh, uh, Ikebana is part of a greater path called Kado. Okay. Kado means the way of flowers. Mm. And in Japanese culture, there are lots of dos or ways. So there's kado, the way of flowers. There's chado, the way of tea. There's um, shodo, the way of calligraphy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I've had the calligrapher on my show from Japan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, flowers have energy. I want to talk about this. And I know okay. you know this. Yeah. Because, you know, they have, well, and I wrote this down, flowers and trees and the spirit of flowers. This is from your book. And trees figure prominently in many Japanese art forms. And I think mm. this is cool because we don't seem to honor the energy of the flowers and the trees. And this is what they do. And I love that you study this and that you realize this. A lot of people, there are completely different culture where they look at things mm. completely differently mm. than we do. So I think it's really cool. You know, throughout the book, I just tell you guys, she has all different flowers. And I was hoping maybe you would talk to us about some of them. Yeah. Well, um, gee, where to start? Well, can we start with the plum blossom? Because I wrote down, <laughs> I love this because the plum blossom you said is associated with a time of hope and endurance, or some believe it's a protection against evil. And I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that was just what I uncovered in my research that um, yeah, you know, plum blossoms, even though Japan is really known for their cherry blossoms, but yeah. originally plum blossoms or the time that plum blooms is in ways and in a way a lot more important because it's the first, the first um, tree that blooms in spring. Um, it blooms way before cherry blossoms and it blooms almost in winter, it, I think it starts blooming in February and there could already, there could still be snow on the ground. So it's considered um, a flower that uh, really endures adversity and mm. it's become a symbol for that, which is why it's considered one of the three friends of winter. Oh, I love And um, so it's, uh, it also has a sweet scent and um but so here you have winter and it's really cold and there's snow and then you have this sweet scent of this plum blossom blooming. And so there's just a lot of poetry around that. I love that. Well, culture. you talk about in your book, and this really hit home with me, You there was a phrase from, uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name right, it's Sacho. Uh, he was a Buddhist. Oh, Sacho? Yeah, mm -hmm. and he wrote... Light up your corner by lighting up your corner of the world, you light up the whole world. And I always say that because each, and I think that's really profound that you put this in the book because I feel mm -hmm. like right now, each one of us are these little lights that as we burn brighter, it changes things here. Mm -hmm. And how, like, did that come about? Where, yeah, well. you know, I was struck by that comment too. I was doing some research on um, different 
kinds of Buddhism other than Zen. Um, in this case, it was Tendai Buddhism. Okay. Uh, um, and that's Saicho founded Tendai Buddhism. And, and this whole phrase of our corner of light really struck me because he's really pointing towards everybody has a gift to offer the world. And, um, and some people get to express that gift <laughs> and other people don't, you know, through different, you know, their upbringing or just, they're just, don't ever get to really express who they really are, or if they do, they're not honored for who they are. And so I sort of see people as uh, different kinds of flowers and every flower, you know, we would never condemn a flower, right? If every flower right. is beautiful, beautiful, right? But they're all, they're all completely different. Um, like we know, are. Some, yeah. Like we are, some are big and bold and flashy and others are small and delicate and uh, there's different colors and shapes and sizes and heights and, um, but we love some are thorny. <laughs> some are thorny, yeah. I love it. Well, it's true though, because you know what? And and I'm I'm a spiritual kind of girl, and you know, I always feel like instead of looking on the outside, we really need to look at people's inside their soul. Like, have you ever met somebody? They were just so kind that you didn't even remember what they looked like, but they were so kind that you remember. Mm -hmm their energy mm -hmm. or their soul mm -hmm. and that's I think how the flowers are too they have energy mm -hmm. you know yeah they really do and um and when you're working with a cabana um you start being more in tune I, I guess you would say with that energy because you want to um arrange these flowers in a way that maybe expresses some of that energy of that flower and so you kind of have to look at see how it grows you know, which way it bends, what's the front, what's the back. Um, you know, the, the base that you use is important because that can help you tell your story or help you express the energy of this flower. Um, and so, and then it's part of the deeper layer of uh, Ikebana. And, and why too, I think it's so important to um, grow your own flowers. I mean, it's one thing to go down to the florist. You can buy some flowers and that's great. And, you know, sometimes we have to do that because we can't all grow flowers. Um, but growing your own flowers um, just adds another dimension to it. And you start, yeah, you start tuning more into the seasons and sure, you get yeah. to watch the flower come up from, you know, a little nothing to a great, big, beautiful thing. And yeah. Now I'm big. I grew up on a farm and so and my mom was into flowers. She was really into roses, but I have flower boxes and I did uh, flower boxes this year and they're beautiful and they're just, and I did purples and, you know, it just brightens my day to go out there and water them. And just like you said, mm -hmm. as they grow larger and I, I got, I went out on a limb, no pun intended. And I, uh, <laughs> I got this, uh, what are they Gruber daisies, you know, and I got a couple of them. And mm -hmm. so they were beautiful. One was orange, one was pink. And then of course they did their thing and they're done. But what I noticed is I repotted them and one of them has, and I've never seen these come up before. So I looked and there's just a little round circle of, and I didn't even know how, I mean, it's, you know, they're beautiful. They're so cool. You see them in the store and it's starting from the very bottom and it's coming up and I'm growing. Mm -hmm. like, it's the first one I've ever done because mm -hmm. they're very delicate and hard to grow. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah. Even so it- it's like, what? This is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Anyway, I just think flowers yeah. are great. Now I'm up here in the mountains. So what I did this year is yeah. I, the lady told me I went to buy my flowers and she said that you need to put mint in between the flowers and the deer won't eat them. And so that's what I did. And the mint. Did that work? <laughs> yes. The mint is thriving in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it kind of it looks kind of cool. I don't know. I thought it was kind of neat. You know, you talk about daffodils. And when I read this in your book, you say it celebrates spring and it's true. And, you know, you wrote they can grow anywhere with little or no care in any soil. And deer don't eat them either. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, where I lived on uh, Orcas Island, um, the deer would eat everything. Even, well, they actually didn't eat daffodils, I don't think, because they are toxic, but but they would eat other plants that are considered toxic. And so um, I lived there for um, about maybe three years before I actually just had to get a deer fence because I couldn't grow anything. I was using all those deer repellents and trying to grow flowers that were deer resistant. And on the island, because there are no predators for the deer, they're just everywhere and they'll eat everything. They're very hungry. Um, And um, so I finally had to get a deer fence and then I could grow whatever I wanted. That's crazy. And I like the deer, but I, I, I'm like, I do too. And I, you know, they used (laughs) to like just walk through my yard and you'd have their babies and I loved it. And, but you know, I was an icky bopper. I wanted to grow plants. But um, yeah, and daffodils, I, I mean, just, I'm just assuming they'll grow anywhere. I mean, I live in the Pacific Northwest, so, you know, we have a whole different climate. I think you're in Arizona, right? Yeah, but, you know, they come up, uh, I'm from, just moved here from New Mexico, but we always had yeah. daffodils and I had yeah. them here too. They were mm-hmm. leftover. Somebody had them when I moved here and they came up, you know, and they yeah. were beautiful. So when I read it, I smiled because I was like, yeah, they do. And even I grew up in Ohio and Michigan area. We always had daffodils, mm-hmm. you know, I want to talk about cherry blossoms. I'm so okay. jealous. I've, I, I would imagine you've been to the cherry blossom festival. Yeah, I have. Well, I want to, yeah. I want to know all about this because <laughs> they are so beautiful and you see them, they show them on television and mm-hmm. how long do they bloom for when you go to Japan and see the cherry? Well, not very long, um, which is why they're a symbol for impermanence. Um, because they're so beautiful and they don't bloom very long. And the next thing you know, they're floating down, you know, into the gutters. <laughs> so in Japan, they celebrate that. Right. And um, so there's a lot of cherry trees everywhere and you'll take a picnic blanket and food and wine or and you just have a party and so there'll be just people out on a sunny spring day sitting underneath the cherry trees uh, enjoying themselves and it's just really a time to celebrate I love it well now I want a couple questions I have how are the cherries do they taste the same as the cherries that we buy oh, here? I, I don't even know. They pro- most of them don't produce cherries. They're they're simply um, they're for flowers for the blossoms. Yeah, they're. I I don't even think they get cherries. You know, I don't ever notice any <coughs> cherries me. on the cherry trees. They're they're so, um, flowering cherry trees. So they're not they're they ornamental. Don't I guess you would say ornamental. Brand, okay, yeah. So they don't yeah. produce fruit at all. Okay. So I mean, I. 
I'm not absolutely sure of that, but I don't remember ever seeing cherries on a cherry tree. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, well, because I love cherries and I actually bought yeah. some at the grocery store recently and they weren't like outrageously expensive because usually cherries have become very costly to buy yeah. by the pound. Yeah, I will yeah. say that. Uh, mm. You also talk in your book, you say the Japanese have defined, I thought this was interesting, 11 steps in the flowering of cherry trees. Now, what mm-hmm. does all that mean? I don't explain that to the audience. What Well, because they're just so honored, you know, they, the cherry trees are just celebrated in Japan. And so there's actually a cherry blossom forecast to let you know when the first cherry trees are going to bloom and where, right. and, I mean, if you wanted to start in the southernmost part of Japan and work north, you know, you could probably go through cherry blossoms for a couple months, but um, cool. because they're so celebrated, then you have people watching, you know, when they bloom or not even just when they bloom, like pre-bloom, <laughs> the bud stage, and then partly open and then fully open. And, and so, um, yeah, it's just, it's just become um, something that people watch out for. And, and um, yeah, is it as magnificent as I think it is? Oh, in places, yeah, when they've planted <laughs> planted thousands of them. I mean, and that was supposed to be part of what we were seeing. Um, I, you know, I haven't, I hadn't been in Japan in spring for a long time. I, I was there when I lived there in the early '90s, but it mm-hmm. usually went back in the fall. So I was really looking forward to this trip because it was in April and it was cherry blossom time. So we had lots of things planned, and one temple we were planning to go to had like a thousand cherry trees. Oh my god. <laughs> it's a world heritage site called um Daigoji. And then there there's a mountain, um uh, Yoshino, uh, Mount Yoshino, where the cherry trees start blooming at the at the base and you know they work their way up and uh you take a train up there. It's Wow. It's just supposed to be fabulous. And so I hadn't done that before either. I was really looking forward to it. Well, you plan on going back. Is that right? Um, yeah, I, sometime. I don't have any immediate plans to go back, but. Um, I think you will. I, I, I would like to go back in spring because I would like to go to some of those flower temples that I never got to. I love that. I love it. Well, I'm intuitive. So I predict two years and you'll be back. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I don't do that very often, but I'll throw that in. There. You know, something you talk about, and I grew up with this. My mom was a real flower person, and mm-hmm. I grew up on a farm. And, you know, even after we moved from the farm, I mean, their whole backyard was roses and flowers. But one thing she always had was wisteria. Mm-hmm. And I, wisteria to me is magical because it mm-hmm. smells so wonderful. Um, and I didn't know this. You say in the book that some grow wild in the forests of Japan. Yeah, definitely. They grow wild and they just twine up the trees. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. Unfortunately, I couldn't grow wisteria where I lived. Um, I just didn't have the right conditions for it. Um, but I love wisteria too. I just think it's like you say, it is magical the way it, it hangs, is. just droops down and yeah, um, I, there's two different kinds of wisteria. Also, I didn't know before <clears throat> one kind that starts blooming from the tip up and the other starts blooming from the top down. Right. And I've and seen, I think, from the top down where it hangs. Is that right? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's the Asian one or there is an American wisteria um, or a Western wisteria, but um, they're all beautiful. They are all beautiful. I wonder what the spiritual meaning is behind wisteria. Do you know, or. Well, um, there was that one uh, haiku that I put in the book that Basho wrote. You want to read it? Um, yeah, do you know? I mean, I don't. I don't know I, what page it's on. <laughs> yeah, it take me a minute to find well, it. Well, now but, you're going to um, ask me something I don't know. Go ahead. I think it would be cool because, um, you know, I don't know. Some of these flowers, they're just so beautiful. Wisteria is one of my favorite. And if you guys don't know what it is, it's purple and it smells like la- like lilacs and like lavenders. Its perfume is so strong. And there's always so mm-hmm. many bees around it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, here it is. So it's um, it's very short. It's just a little haiku. Uh, exhausted, seeking an in, wisteria flowers. Mm-hmm. So you really have to kind of look at some of the commentary on that. But um, it was uh, it has kind of a double meaning in this in this sense, and and also double meaning in the book, and that it was um, a, a great thing to behold. Wisteria, it's beautiful, and you you feel. Um, maybe joyous seeing it but it also because the way it hangs down it's sort of melancholy yeah and um so since i was talking about um the pandemic and um and uh, all the suffering that was going on i used it as that metaphor um to talk about that yeah that it was the time of wisteria and so it, it you know okay yeah. beautiful wisteria but also sort of melancholy wisteria yeah, and I need to say that through the book, you guys, she talks all about um, because she wrote this during COVID. I just think it, it was almost like I felt like it was your way of kind of uplifting us with the flowers, even though we were going through a tough time, you know, with the pandemic and all of that. Yeah, it was definitely how I uplifted myself. <laughs> yes, yes. And I just kept um, doing my show, you know, through the whole thing because everybody's like, Oh, I can't go. But I just kept talking to people like you, which was mm. wonderful. And then I thought, Oh, you just wrote this and you were you connected with the flowers because you couldn't go to Japan. So you said, what's the next best thing? Right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I just delved into writing and writing about flowers and doing flower arrangements and yeah. um, trying to grow more flowers. And, you know, I talk about a, a couple little trips off island where I went to I actually went to go find a wisteria. <laughs> my my day, I just have to grow a wisteria, and I'm going to go off island to find one. And um, but I really didn't have the right condition, so the woman that worked in the store kind of talked me out of it, and I ended up buying a peony instead. Okay, all right. Now that's one of my questions for you. What is one of your favorite flowers? <laughs> favorite flower? I guess I should ask. <laughs> I really do love peonies, especially the kind that are the single petaled, okay. uh, where you where it really has a defined center that's usually a different color than the petals are. And so the, the one that I ended up buying at the uh, nursery was called Sequestered Sunshine. Oh, wow. With a yellow peony with a kind of oh. burgundy center. <laughs> it was oh. amazing. I love it. Well, I wrote this down from your book. You said eight cent, eight century Buddhist monks brought peonies, the king of the flowers to Japan from China for mm-hmm. the, this is, this really caught my 
interest here. They brought it for the root, flower, and seeds, all tonics for inflammation, arthritis, muscle cramps, lupus, spasms, and fever. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't either until I started researching it. I mean, I'm just looking at flowers as far as their bloom goes, but a lot of flowers, of course, are medicinal, um, Mm -hmm. different parts of them. And that's a whole, that's a whole nother study. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking to myself, wow, I wonder if you can get like a tincture or something like that, you know? Yeah, probably. Although I'm not, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Uh, And maybe a flower essence. There might be a peony flower essence. I know there is a cosmos um, flower essence. Um, Cosmos um, is not a Japanese flower. It's actually from Mexico, but it's um, one flower that I'm really fond of. My mother was really fond of Cosmos. And um, as a teenager, I just couldn't understand why. I thought it was just kind of a simple, basic flower. (laughs) But now I actually appreciate it for that fact. And it's also a good pollinator flower. So, okay. And that was one of the temples that I actually did see. I went to Japan in 2018 and I actually did see that flower temple and it was a Cosmos temple. Talk about these temples a little bit more. I mean, is it a temple like I think it is? Like I would imagine it's a a building or talk about with flowers all over it or or what is it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what is it? Well, that's sort of like a whole compound. So so there's the the temple where people go to worship, but then there's always the garden around the temple. And some of the temples in Japan have huge gardens around them. And people go there now to see the gardens more than anything, although they also have a lot of Buddhist icons that are certainly beautiful. But this particular temple in in Nara um, is uh, they just grow cosmos of all colors. Usually you see cosmos in pinks and magentas, but they have yellow and orange cosmos. And um, wow. So it's maybe. I don't know, it could be, an, let's say, an acre of temple ground. And so they have um, Buddhist statues out in the garden and the cosmos are just growing up around them and wow. they're just really pretty. And, and people come from all over to, um, to see the cosmos and they bloom in October as the main viewing time for cosmos. Be a cool place to meditate. Yeah, they're the beautiful places. And, you know, there are other temples that are known for their peonies. I mean, they grow like thousands of peonies and other temples are known for their irises and um, you have fabulous iris gardens. So, so this temple pilgrimage, there are 25 temples that you, it's actually a, a designated pilgrimage. So okay. lots of different pilgrimages in Japan, but this one is a flower pilgrimage and you can go to these different temples and see these flowers, but of course they bloom at all different times of the year. So you'd have to go there for, you know, a lot of trips to be able to see the whole thing. Right. How cool. I didn't, had no idea. I'm really glad yeah. you came today. I'm glad you wrote this. You enlightened me quite a bit. I, <laughs> I want to, and the audience too, of course, I want to talk about the Lotus because when I think about Japan, I always think about the Lotus and yeah. I wrote down Lotus holds the potential for a variety of car- karmic repercussions. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, that relates to the haiku that I think I included. It okay. Was, um, yeah, it would. The haiku had to do with whether the monk would 
cut the load the lotus or not cut the lotus. Yes. Yeah. And um and that maybe there are karmic repercussions for that, depending on what he wanted to do with the lotus or so um we'll talk I mean, about the, this. They come from mud. I mean, we can we can be beautiful flowers emerging from mud, you say, of life. But mm-hmm. I mean, talk about the lotus. If this well, the, the lotus is a symbol for enlightenment in in Buddhism. Okay. And and yet it it grows out of the mud of a pond. That's where it, it emerges out of the mud. So you could say, uh, you know, human enlightenment comes out of the messiness of our world, sort sure. of like a mud, sort of like a muddy pond. You know, we have a lot of challenges in life, right. but uh, if we rise above them, and the lotus literally does rise up out of the pond on these very long stems. And then it, ha- it just has this exquisite flower that's just incredible. And, um, it, you know, and in Japan, you can, um, the lotus root is actually a, a food that you eat. And it's okay. really quite tasty. It's okay. usually sweetened a little bit, but it's also crunchy. Okay. And it's, um, yeah, lotus root is a, a food that you can eat in Japan. <laughs> Interesting. I'm going to have to go to Japan. It's one place I've never been. Well, I want to um, know. What is the, what's been the reaction so far on the book? Um, I think it's probably too soon to tell, but, um, but there have been, um, there has been a fair amount of interest um, and we'll just see, you know, it just came out, was just released June 1st. And so hopefully people will enjoy it. And. um, Oh yeah. I enjoyed it. I will tell you, I really, I didn't get to read all of it. But it was really, I'm a flower lover. So a lot of stuff was so interesting to me, things that I didn't know that you brought up and you related it to kind of to life. Yeah. And I hope that readers will turn to nature when they need to feel a sense of solace because uh, it really is very comforting and healing and, um, you know, flowers and trees and just everything. Um, People need to get out in nature more. You really do and grow flowers if you can. I mean, it's just so rewarding. You know, I agree with you so wholeheartedly because I think a lot of us have gotten stuck in the house, especially during COVID. And then people don't want to go back to their jobs. They got used to staying home. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times people don't want to go outside and this may sound funny, but my cat, I have an indoor cat that wants to be an outdoor cat. And she constantly is like, let's go outside. And it's great because it forces me because I'm the same. I'll get stuck in the house. <laughs> but I love being outside with the trees. Mm-hmm especially Mm -hmm. where I'm at here. It's one of the, it's in the Tonto forest and the trees have energy and they have Mm -hmm. wisdom, just like the flowers. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk about that in the book and I just, you find a sense of peace when you are out with the flowers and the trees. Exactly. You You know, in Japan, they have what's called forest bathing. Are you familiar with that? No, tell us. (laughs) Um, Can't remember the Japanese word right now. Um, there's a special word for it anyway that I can't remember um, where uh, you go into the forest. Uh, it's called forest bathing and you tune in to the energy of trees. And there's certain areas in Japan where you can go and have those experiences and people will guide you and do meditations with you. And they've been doing scientific research on how it lowers your blood pressure and makes you feel calmer and um gives you um, more peace of mind and it's it's actually a scientific study 
Mm. Quite fascinating. I agree. I'm an intuitive and I'm an empath. And when I'm around trees, I am, it's like water and trees. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that really mm-hmm. calm me down. So I know, and you know, they have energy and you know, mm-hmm. and if you do tune in, which I do sometimes, uh, I, I tune in and you can get, you will receive messages mm-hmm. from them because they've been here longer than we have, most of them, and they have so much wisdom. Yeah. You mentioned that you grew up, your mother had a garden and you grew up with flowers and my mother did too. And my mother really suffered a lot from depression. Um, but the, her garden was what saved her. I mean, over and I mean, she would, you know, go out in the spring and her personality would just change. It was so healing for her. So she, um, she was an avid gardener and um, she even propagated a lot of her own plants grew a lot of flowers, grew vegetables, you know, just grew everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really uh, affected her, her um, mental mood quite drastically. I mean, it, it really helped her get through life. And look what it did for you. <laughs> yeah, You know, honestly, and I have to say that, I mean, we have to thank our moms for that because I grew up yeah. the same way. We always had gardens. She always had beautiful mm-hmm. roses, the most beautiful roses you ever saw she would mm. have in her garden mm. and she would have all different flowers that you know you wouldn't see normally mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it was just yeah and I agree with you it calms you down and it and it mm-hmm. brings a sense of peace mm-hmm. it really does yeah and so you know working with flowers and ikebana is just an extension of that because you're actually then you're touching them you're you're handling them you're yeah. looking at them more carefully and yeah. and you absorb some of that energy I Many times I've gone uh, to arrange flowers and, you know, maybe it wasn't in the best of moods or it's feeling low energy or something like that. And I would um, work with flowers for an hour or so and I, my mood just completely changed. It was so healing. And um, I actually had a, a Japanese um, Ikebana instructor from Japan who um, was very ill a lot when he was a child. And he turned to uh, Ekebana as a healing modality. Okay. Um, it was, he, yeah, I often mentioned that, that he was a sickly child, but that working with flowers really healed him. It healed him. Wow. That's so amazing. You guys, the book is The Language of Flowers in the Time of COVID, Finding Solace in Zen Nature, Ekebana. It's wonderful. And it's by Joan D. Stahl. <laughs> Don't thank you. I'm so, is you want anything you want to leave us with today before we get out of here? Yeah. Well, just, I said it before, I'll say it again. Just get out in nature and really enjoy it. You know, go smell the flowers. Go smell the roses. Yeah. Go look at the flowers. (laughs) Be be with plants. You won't regret it. I think it's wonderful. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. Hey, you guys, if you're interested in having me speak at your next event, go to my website, nancyherout.com. Or if you just want an angel reading, you're welcome to go there. And you can read some new messages I've put up there from Archangel Gabriel. And you can check that out. So we're going to get out of here for today. This is Nancy Herout. This is High Road to Humanity. And everyone have a fabulous week and God bless.